part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. How many of you, the first song, the first song, first time you ever heard it? Okay, I would have thought that, okay, a lot of, I would think that a lot of the younger ones would say, yeah, I've never heard that before, okay? And I would think that even a lot of millennial age, you know, say, no, I haven't heard that one. That one's over the top of my head. Because that is one of the old songs from the old church. It was, uh, you didn't know this. That was one of my granddaddy's favorite songs. But it was never blood. It was more like blood. You know, you, you kind of had to put a, like a, uh, and if you went to granddaddy's church, it was, everything was, that was two syllables was made into three syllables. And you kind of know the, the, the feeling. But uh, that brought back some really good memories. I don't know that I have heard that in 10, 15 years. So thank you for, uh, I was thought immediately of my granddaddy. And he must be smiling up in heaven, tapping his toe to that this morning. Well, open your Bibles to Genesis. If you're kind of new to church and new to the Bible, that's the first book of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some, maybe not directly in front of you, but there's some in the pews before you. And if you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take one of those Bibles, put your name in the front, and just take that so you can study the Word at home. We will have the verses up here as we go through because uh, one of the things that we like to do in our church is just go let the Word preach. You know, that we just preach God's Word and we just kind of go through the Word. That way it's not a lot of the opinions of the pastor. It's just what God has told us. And uh, even though we're about to finish up First Peter, I thought it would be kind of appropriate since on Mother's Day we had a Mother's Day sermon of such that we would do a Father's Day. And, uh, but guys, don't worry about it because usually on Mother's Day we talk about all these accolades of moms. We just kind of really lift them up. And then on Dad's Day, we kind of, you know, Father's Day, we kind of say, okay, here's what a good dad should be. And so you leave with this guilt trip or this heaviness. And, um, and in a way, just a fair warning, in a way, as we look at Abraham this morning, you can say, oh, great. You know, like I'm going to compare to Father Abraham. I mean, remember the song when you are little? Father Abraham. But wait to the very end because there's a punchline at the end. Not a punchline, but you, you know. There's, there's something at the end that really does change the whole perspective of why I would want to preach this on Father's Day. Because the one thing I don't want to do, I'm just being really frank with you guys, one thing I don't want to do is to load a weight upon fathers today and say, okay, here's what a really good godly father looks like, and you aren't one of those. Because who can measure up to that, you know? And so we w- walk out of here not feeling, you know, blessed to be in church on Father's Day. You're not being, feeling blessed by God, but like, I'm a failure. Because here's, you know, maybe I love my kids, but if this is what a spiritual dad is like, I, maybe I'm not doing all those things. So wait to the very end because there's hope at the very end of this uh, story that we have about Abraham who truly was a very, very good father. I'm not going to lie to you, but he was not a perfect man. And we're going to see some of that imperfection. But as we open up today and as we begin to talk about what, a, you know, this devoted dad that Abraham was, uh, you know, when we go through, like even in the animal kingdom, do you know that there's some really, really devoted fathers in the animal kingdom? I mean, I know we all have heard about the mama bear. In fact, we've probably seen the mama bear. Let's just be real honest, okay? But, you know, daddies are not only protective, but they really are, some, they do a lot of things for their youngs. Did you know, in fact, that the, uh, that the penguin, uh, the emperor penguin, mom lays the eggs, 
Dad sits there for the next 30 to 45 days and stands on the eggs to protect them till they hatch and then even kind of has an immediate uh, job of feeding them until mom comes back because mom has gone during that whole time. Mom, after she is birthed or after she lays the eggs, goes back and gets nutrients back in her body. So she may be gone as long as two months, going back, feeding, kind of, you know, getting back to her old self so that she can come back and really help with the kids. But for that 30 to 60 days, it's dad. And so, uh, see, moms are not the only one. Did you know this? And you're probably going, no, I didn't know this. Uh, that the uh, sea catfish, it does a similar thing. The sea catfish, mom lays the eggs, dad puts them in his mouth, and for the next 30 days, as they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger, that little picture is kind of the little babies there, the little eggs. He keeps the eggs in his mouth. He does not eat for 30 days so that he can, so he doesn't digest, you know, his own. And, and so, you know, he just does that. And so we see even in nature that there's this, you know, dads kind of have this streak. We, we have some things that we do good jobs. And yet ultimately when we think about moms and we think about dads, let's be honest, you know, moms kind of always get, especially in church, you know, always kind of get these accolades. And so this morning we want to take some time to look upon the faithfulness and the dedication of dads. Because dads, I mean, I'm amazed. Um, my daughter just left, my oldest daughter, my little granddaughter. They just left. They've been here all week. And Trevor, my son-in-law, was gone for about four of those days. But he was back the last two days. And I'm amazed. He is a better father than I was uh, at that age. I, I just promise you. He's in there with every diaper. He's in there with everything like that. And I was kind of there as an extra hand, hoping and praying that Carly's two hands were sufficient. And he is right in there. And I do think that that's kind of a trend that I see, and maybe you saw that in your own home, that dads are just much more involved. But I was impressed. I was going, you know, this dad's really got it. These dedicated dads. Now, when it comes to loving your kids, I don't think that there's any competition whatsoever. I think moms and dads have this equal ability, a different ability, but this equal ability to just really love their kids well. And it's one of those things that we just really share in common. We love differently. Would you agree, moms and dads, that we live, love differently? And it isn't amazing how moms and dads love, if you have boys and girls, you can really test this out, how we love boys and girls differently. It's kind of an amazing thing, you know, that protection part of dad. Not that mama bear doesn't want to protect, but when it comes to a dad and his girls, oh, my goodness, you know, bar the door. It is one of those things that just this, this comes out. At the same time, there's this... I won't say it's a flippant part of dad. Ah, if, ain't, if there's no blood, there's no foul kind of thing. And, you know, mom's all worried and she's got, you know, sterile strips and gauze and all this stuff. And dad's going, wash it off. Come on, get back in the game. And so we kind of have this different mentality, but we love equally. We just love our kids. And so as we open up today, I don't know that we could ever really fully understand this man named Abraham and what God asked him to do. In fact, a lot of theologians even kind of go, okay, why is God, and the Bible actually says, tested Abraham in this. And when we get to that verse, I'll explain that word tested. It's going to be very similar to what we saw in First Peter last week. Test it like a, this fiery test. 
testing to bring out something, not testing to fail. But Abraham was asked to do something that I don't know that any of us have ever been really asked to do. Let me give you a quick bio if you're not kind of from a church background, because this was what Abraham was asked to do. And just putting that picture up there, if you're kind of not from a church background, you're going, okay, what have I got myself into? Oh, my goodness. These people believe in child sacrifice? No, not at all. In fact, God was 100% against child sacrifices. There were many customs of other peoples in that area that they actually did sacrifice uh, their children. I mean, there was some religions around the world at that time that the Israelites were familiar with, and they did this. And so that's why it's even that much more strange, not only to Abraham, but even to theologians and, and Christians as we read this story. What in the world was God thinking? And so that's why we have to kind of go through the whole story and see the final picture of that before we really see what God was attempting to do and to teach us. But let me give you a little bit of background of Abraham. Uh, He did not come from a godly home. Abraham could not say that he was raised by godly parents. In fact, his parents worshipped other gods of the land. Um, We don't really see Abraham's story until he is 75 years old. And God asked him to do something. God says, okay, I want a covenant with you. In other words, a covenant is kind of like marriage where you're making this promise. It's an agreement, but it's also a promise. But it's a promise of the heart, not just of circumstances. When you marry, you're making a promise of the heart. It's a covenant. You're saying, I'm going to stand by this through thick and thin. And so Abraham and God covenant together. And God's the one that initiates that, okay? Abraham doesn't just sit there one day and go, you know, God, because he doesn't really even know that God real well as far as that's not how he's raised. Abraham does not approach God, but God approaches Abraham and says, here's what I want you to do, Abraham. I want you to leave everything that's familiar to you, and I want you to go to a place that I will eventually tell you. I'm not even going to tell you where it is right now. It's one thing to say, okay, leave Jefferson and go toward Orlando. You can kind of figure that out in your mind. Oh, you leave where you've been brought up, and you go to a place that I will eventually show you and tell you. But here's what I will do. I will make of you a great nation, a great people. I will uh, also give you blessings. I will covenant with you as your God, and you will be my people. So, so Abraham says yes. Now, if Abraham's 22 or 25, that makes a little bit more sense, doesn't it? I mean, 22, you're 25, you're gone. New place? Yeah. New scene? Perfect. 75. Show me my old chair my bed. Every, you know, I, I want everything to be familiar. You know, Carly gets new dinnerware. And it's like, what? You know? <laughs> By the time you get older, you kind of like that familiarity. So think, he's 75 years old, and yet God tells him to really take everything that he knows, his whole family, leave everything that's familiar, and go to the unfamiliar. And at that point, even the unknown. And he says, yes, I'll do this. So he goes out, he doesn't have a perfect, he's not perfect, he's godly. He loves God, but he's not perfect. And he messes up sometimes. There's times that uh, the strangers of the land come up, and Abraham feels threatened, and they said, is this your wife? He was married to a lady, a beautiful lady by the name of Sarah. And they said, is this your wife? No, this is my sister, because it was a convenient answer that would kind of protect him. And he does that on two occasions, at least, that we see recorded. He may have done it other times. There's other times that Abraham, 
because he did have foot of clay just like us. He drops the ball. He's not the perfect man, but he is a godly man. And every dad in here, I I would pray that that would really be a, a good description of us, that that's what we would aspire to. Man, I'm not a perfect man, but I desire to be a godly man. See, we're not going to bat a thousand. We're not going to do it all right. There's going to be times in our lives where we look back and go, I would change that decision. But if we set our hearts and our minds toward God, and we really for our children, for our wife, for ourselves, decide, I just want to follow God well. That's what Abraham did. And so uh, in this promise, he knows that in order to be a father of a great nation, he actually needs to be a father first. And he's made this promise at 75. 80 comes and goes. 85 comes and goes. uh, 90 comes and goes. 95 comes and goes. He gets to 100 years old, and he still has not at this time had the promise of a child. And so he kind of takes things in his own hands, and he comes up with a plan, and he has a child, but it's not with Sarah, his wife, and it was never God's ordained plan to do that as far as that was was God's choice. And so, again, we don't see a perfect man. Finally, at 100 years old, And I know right now, for some of you that, again, maybe don't come from a a church background, okay, is this like a symbolic story? Is he really 100 years old? Yeah, he really is. He was really 75. He's really 100 when he has uh, a baby. Sarah, his wife, is 90. When she found out that she's pregnant, she laughed. You would think maybe some ladies, I would cry, you know, (laughs) but she laughed. And she, because it was just, it, it was seemed impossible. But they have this baby, Isaac, when he's 100 years old. We don't know when this happens, because if it's, the story stops right there, it's like he, happily ever after. God fulfills his promise. They begin a great nation. They start having all, you know, uh, his, his child starts to marry and has other children, and they have descendants, and they become grandparents and great-grandparents. And all of a sudden, this nation that God had promised to Abraham becomes a fulfillment. But right in the midst of that, when Isaac's a teenager, we don't know the exact age that he was, but when he's a teenager, God really does something that is the unthinkable. Look at Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 and 2. And after these things, God tested Abraham. Now, remember, guys, some tests were set up for you to fail. Did you ever feel like you had that professor in college? You're not here to help me pass. You're actually here to try to see if I can fail. Well, that's not what God does. He doesn't put a test out there and not equip us to pass it. This kind of testing is what we talked about last week when we talked about the refining process, that this refining is kind of getting off the old and the unnecessary, and it gets down to the gold. And God's trying to drive something out of us, a maturity. A good example of that to to me was just watching my daughter now be a mom this week. First experience that we've ever had of that, and at first I'm going, okay, you know, I, I knew that my most daughter, well, both of my daughters are quite drama queens. And I blame their mom. Uh, it's one of those things that she's in the back cleaning up, so I can say that. But, you know, they, they, they kind of went to the side of drama a little bit. And, uh, but now I see her as a mom. And I saw, see her just kind of strengthening up. And, guys, I, I'm just telling you, maybe it's just this grandpa 
image or something like that. I mean, there's a couple times I almost wanted to weep there because it's going, that's my girl, and she's a mama. And it amazed me to see the maturity. And it's come out of some, you know, fiery testing. Uh, the first kind of month of my granddaughter, she wasn't a pleasant baby, okay? She just she had some uh, things that made her cry a lot. And so crying was, if she was awake, she was pretty much crying. And it was one of those things that, that's, you know, her first experience, my daughter's first experience. And she felt like maybe a lot of moms, what am I doing wrong? How, how I felt. But I see her now, and they're, they're kind of through that stage and everything. And they've corrected the things that, that they needed to correct uh, with diet and all that kind of stuff. And, and now I see her just enjoying this motherhood and this maturity. And I'm going, that's my daughter. Those are the kind of tests that we're talking about here. A test that shows the maturity. A test that brings out something that maybe you didn't even know was there within you. A hard thing. The best teacher I ever had in high school was the hardest teacher. Now, in the semester, you're saying words under your breath all day long. But two years later, you're going, that's the best teacher I ever had. Because I learned more in that class than I did any other. That's the kind of testing that we're talking about here. So I don't want you to see this God that when it says that God tests Abraham, because there's plenty of times when God tests us, but the testing here is so that he can bring out from us something that we didn't even know really existed. Does that make sense? Because I don't want you to see a God who, if you were walking by, that sticks his leg out at the last second to trip you up. This is not the nature of God. It is not the heart of God. It is not the kindness of God. But God will test you. God will test you, but it's to bring out a maturity that maybe you didn't even know was in there. And so he's going to test Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and look what, how Abraham responds. Here, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. I can only, again wonder if Abraham had him repeat that? For, for a couple of reasons. Number one, this doesn't seem like the character of God. This is the, the character of God is one who values life, not one that wants to take life. This is what the other gods supposedly wanted was a child sacrifice, a human sacrifice. And, and that's not the nature of this God. And so I can only imagine that on two different levels, one on a theological kind of understanding level, that Abraham is going, What? But then on a personal level, the son that finally comes when you're 100 years old, now he's 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. I, I don't know how old he is at this time. Now you've endeared yourself totally to your son. And you're asking me to go place him on the offering and to take his life? As strange as this sounds, really as ungodly characteristically as this sounds. This is exactly what Abraham was asked to do. And from his response, we see three things. Now again, let me tell you right up front, guys, you can see these three things as heavy weights on your shoulders as dads. As, okay, if I don't measure up in these three areas, I am a failure. I'm a spiritual failure to my family. Please don't hear that in the fullness. These are challenges. These are fiery tests. What we see in Abraham is a great response to God's call upon his life. 
And I, as your pastor, will never back you away from hearing the hard things in our lives so that we can become the godly men, the godly husbands, and the godly fathers that we're supposed to be. How foolish it would be for me to ever water that down. At the same time, listen to the totality of the story and you will find the secret of becoming that godly father. First thing that we see is that he has ears to hear God. An important quality and a godly father. Ears to hear God. Look again in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He, he responds. Now, how do we respond today? I have never audibly heard the voice of God. I've been a Christian since I was 12 years old, and I've never heard with my physical ears the voice of God. I hear God speaking to me every day. And I hope that doesn't sound too mystical. I hope it doesn't sound too psychological to you. But through his word, through his spirit, God speaks to us as Christians. He he puts thoughts and he puts principles and he puts uh, all kinds of different things into our hearts and our lives. And a lot of times it is through his word. Other times it's just in prayer that we respond and we hear God. But I've never heard him physically, but yet Abraham did. So I'm not saying, okay, listen for God with physical ears. Now have a heart and have ears through God's word, through prayer, that, that you hear God speaking in your life. You don't have to be a deep theologian. You don't have to have it all figured out. Just be a God, I mean, a man who is open. Okay, God, you're going to help me be this father, this husband that you want me to be. And so, God, I, I'm saying my ears are open to hear from you. That's the first thing that we see here. He says, here I am. He responds. And he hears that he is to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering. The second thing that we see, though, is we look down a couple of verses, verse 3, is that not only does he have ears to hear God, but then he has feet to follow God. Because look what it says in verse 3. Don't get lost in the little details here. Because these little details of verse 3 are very, very important. So Abraham rose when? Early in the morning. God tells you. Sacrifice your son. Front burner or back burner? Or off the burner? I mean, even if you have ears to hear, that that is not something... You know, I don't know that I'm waking up at 5 o'clock the next morning going, okay, I'm ready. And yet, here's a heart of obedience. It is not a heart that does not love his son. Abraham loves his son. I, I, I promise you guys, it is hard for us to ever understand how the people that are sitting in, over here, it's hard for you to understand that they love their children just as much as you love your children. Because there's something, that this phenomenon that happens. In your own mind, do you love your children more than anybody else that you know? And it's hard for us not to think that, okay, I kind of love my children even more than these other ladies that would love their children. I mean, we know that's not true, but there's something in our mind that's just, we love our kids. Abraham loves his son. No less than you love your children if you have children. Don't diminish him saying, well, he's just, he's so biblical that it's not a test for him to take his son's life. No, it is his heart. His son is his heart. And yet, this is an obedient man, and so he has ears to hear God, has feet to follow God. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, 
uh, that were just kind of assisting him, and his son Isaac. And he cut up the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went out to the place that God had told him. So he starts heading. Anybody remember where they were going? Mount Moriah. Do you know, anybody know biblical landscapes? Mount Moriah, if we fast forward to the New Testament, there's going to be this place called Calvary. Ever heard of that? Same mountain range, same mountain. It's important to this story. He heads up to Mount Moriah. It's a several-day journey. Sometimes when you have a hard thing to do, I don't know what kind of people are you. I don't know if you're slow bandage or if you're rip the bandage off. Two different mentalities of how we approach painful situations. When it comes to something like this, man, I would want it to be immediate. And yet it's uh, three days. He's, he's journeying with these people. It's mulling over in his mind what he's got to do. Three days, this has to stew in his mind and his heart, dads. But he follows. Early in the morning, it was immediate, it was prepared. He cut enough wood. Three days, no quick and easy task. Plenty of time to make up excuses. Plenty of time to say, God, I don't know that you really said this. Maybe perhaps you said that. As much as he is confused, he does what God asked him to do. He goes, as they start to approach the, the final part, he even leaves the two servants behind so that it's just he and his son. Because if he takes the other two, maybe perhaps they would say, Abraham, stop. You don't know what you're doing. No, there's nothing but he and his son on the final part. We see that he has ears to hear God. He has feet then that responds, and in this case, immediate responds in obedience to God. And the last thing that we see, he has a heart that trusts God. Man, I would challenge you that there are a lot of things that we can trust God with, but our children are one of the hardest ones. Ladies, isn't it what we saw on Mother's Day when we look at Jochebed, Moses' mom, that what an incredible mom she is? You know, that in obedience that she, that she puts Moses in this little basket, puts him on the Nile River and just floats him. And now it's, her child is out of her control. That is frightening to any of us that are parents in here, that our kids would be out of our ability to control, our ability to protect and, and, and defend. And yet, that's the situation that we see here. We see this amazing kind of obedience. Look at verse 5 through 8. Then Abraham said to the young man, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and what? A lot of different words that he could come up with right there. John, is that the word that you would have come up with if God says, Okay, take Nate. I want you to take him up the hill and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Are, are you thinking at that point, okay, you, you tell your, your two helpers, stay here, we're going up there to worship. Is that the farthest thing from your mind? Do you think that Abraham is lying through his teeth? What can cause a man who has to do the hardest thing that he's ever could imagine to do, what could, what could cause you to use a word like worship let me, you want to tell you my thoughts? The only one to answer is an incredible trust of God. An incredible trust of God. 
we call like Sunday morning worship because we give affection and attention to God. I would challenge you that real lifestyle worship is when we venture out, guys, into the complete unknown because of obedience to God. And we do it, and we're unsure, and we're scared, and we're afraid, and we're all kinds of things. And yet, that foot goes forward in obedience to God. That is worship, guys. He says, we're going to go up there and worship. I don't think he was bringing his guitar and say, okay, we're going to sing a couple songs. I don't know that he was bringing, you know, the word of God and say, okay, we're going to have a little ceremony. Now, his worship was that he was going to follow God even though this was the most incredibly hard thing that he could have ever imagined doing. He had ears to hear God. He had this, these feet that just wanted to follow God. And he had a heart that trusted God. And I don't know about you men that would be here today and fathers. Ears to hear God, okay, I, maybe I get a B on that. Feet to follow God, maybe I get a B on that. A heart to trust God in the unknown with my children. I'm pushing it if I'm getting a C. I'm pushing it if I'm getting a C. Because somehow God has put into our hearts as daddies, just like mamas. These are our responsibility and their wellness or their failure depends on and one of the greatest challenges that we'll ever have as parents is truly to look at parenting through the spiritual eyes and say, God, you are a heavenly father. You're the best father. You're the best mother that this child could ever have. The theory of that really sounds good. The practice of that, I'm going to use a theological word here stinks because it's really hard it's really hard because all of a sudden our humanity rather than our faith wants to jump up all of these thoughts inside us no I'm the dad I'm the mom and yet what we see here is this amazing father that really does have this implicit trust into his heavenly father with that which is most precious in his life so what happens Verse 9. And when they came to the place where God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. What? Sure, can we go back? I don't want to miss this and I just kind of skipped it a little bit. Can we go back to verse 7 and 8? Thank you. This, was a, this would have been the part that would have got me. He goes up there, and, and they're going to sacrifice this animal. And uh, his son, teenage son, looks at his dad. He said, okay, we got the knife. We got the wood. We got rope. These are common things. But look what he says, verse 7 and 8. And Isaac said to his father, my father, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire, the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? You got me right there. Maybe I can be this very faithful follower until my eyes son meet my eyes. In what we would call innocence. We know that there is no such thing as complete innocence in children. We're born into sin. But can you imagine your, your son or your daughter's eyes looking at you 
And they ask that question of you in full trust of you as a parent. Dad, I see we got the wood for the sacrifice. So you got your knife. We got rope. We got all the necessary things. But Dad, I'm looking around and I'm going, we're missing one thing here. <laughs> where's, the, where's the sacrifice? Verse 9. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went up there together. Thanks for going back, Sherry, because that, that is such an important, integral part of this story. The, the drama of it, the personalization of it. Now let's go to verse 9 and 10. So they come to this place where God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order to, to bound and, and bound his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. And I'm in, I'm in full belief, guys, that, that he had that knife at the apex ready to, to really follow through, that his heart was in it, that his heart was broken, but that his heart was in obedience to God. And then God intervenes. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Remember, that's how this whole ordeal started. And what was Abraham's response the first time that God said, Abraham, Abraham? Here I am. What does he say this time? Here I am. Verse 12. He said, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Now, theologically, God already knows all things. God didn't say, okay, I was just testing you because I had no clue if you'd be faithful or not. Believe me, the test was not to prove to God the metal, the faith of Abraham. Even though I know that's the wording here, you're going, but that's what it says, that now I know that you're ready to... Now, I think what we really see here in the faithfulness of this, because we know that sovereign God knows all things, there's nothing that's not been revealed to him who didn't know was Abraham. He didn't know was Isaac. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. uh, And he said, uh, Now I know that you fear God, verse 10, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your one and only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and looked at the ram and offered up a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Good ending to the story. Isaac is saved. Abraham was faithful. There's so much more going on here. It's Mount Moriah. What did I also say that later on we would know that mountain for? Mount Calvary. It's an Old Testament picture of this faithful God that we serve. That in our inefficiency, in our brokenness, in our sin and our rebellion, he says, look, you know, you deserve to die and pay for your own sins, but I love you and I will send a sacrifice. 
God is already showing us Christ in this Old Testament picture from the very beginning. And the infancy of this Jewish nation, of this called out people, he's already pointing forward to Calvary saying, I can be trusted. See, here we see a faithful father, but really this story is not about just a faithful father called Abraham. This story, when we see it in its fullness, is about a faithful father that we can call father that is our God. See, this changes everything, dads. This changes everything. You can go from this morning and go, okay, here's the heavy weights that the pastor just placed upon me. I have to have, a, have, to have ears that hear God. I have to, have to have feet that follow God. I have to have a heart that trusts God even when things really, really get tough. And that is God's call upon you. He's calling you to do that. I'm not going to water that down. And yet you will fail at those things. And yet he has sent one who did not fail. He's the faithful one when we could not be faithful. Do we still aspire for that faithfulness? Yes, because it will be a blessing to your children. I often think, as we close this morning, I often think Isaac, as he grew up, and he was 25 and then 30 and 35, marries and then starts to have children of his own. Do you think that Isaac had some rough times, some challenging spiritual times in his life? How many times do you think when those really spiritually challenging times came and he felt like throwing in the towel and just saying, I can't do this, that maybe he would think back to this day. He said, you know, I know that my dad loved me with all his heart. And yet what I saw was a willingness to trust God even when he couldn't understand God. And I don't know, I can't imagine how that would power Isaac through some of those tough times. I want to be that kind of dad to my girls. I want to be that kind of granddaddy. One that they will know has feet of clay. They see that every day. And perfect in so many ways. But I would hope that that I can have ears that listen to God and, and, and feet that follow God and a heart that trusts God when I don't even understand Him so that one day when my girls and my grandchildren are going through really difficult times that they'll say, you know, Dad, <laughs> Dad didn't always understand, but he really believed that his God was going to be faithful. Now, I don't want them to take their eyes off of God and put them on me, but, you know, sometimes, guys, we just need human examples around us. You know, because sometimes when we open up the Bible, let's just be real frank, sometimes we're going, okay, that's kind of theoretical. But when you live it out, John, Dustin, when you live it out? Andy, when the girls see that? They see Scripture come to life because the faith of a father, an imperfect father who fails in many ways, but they see this. You know, when it really came testing time, my my dad had ears that wanted to listen to God, and he had feet that wanted to follow God, and he had a heart that really trusted God even when he couldn't understand. What a legacy. What a legacy. These are not heavy weights to put on your shoulders today, guys. Because the only way we can do that is because of the, of those, the last verse. We, are, we have a faithful Father. And because of what He's done through Jesus Christ, now through His Holy Spirit, He enables us to, to at least aspire to be those men and those fathers. Let's pray together today. Father, we, we thank You. We love You.
Father, I thank you that even though we see a very obedient man here, our hope is not in Abraham. Our hope is in the one that you were giving us a picture of, Christ Jesus. And Father, even though we would admit that Abraham is probably much more of a faithful father than, than, we, would, than we could aspire to be, Father, we know that the ultimate picture here is your faithfulness. And Father, maybe there's some dads here today that, that they've heard you and, and they have feet that want to follow you, and yet they're stumbling at that last part because they just do not understand this next step of whatever you've called them to do. And, and they're confused and they're overwhelmed. Father, today, I, I pray that you would just give them faith, you would build their faith, you would encourage them. And Father, today, that uh, encourage them to a point of, of action. Thank you for the ram that we would later know, Father, is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world for the sins of man. Thank you that we have a hope that goes beyond our own ability to be the perfect Father. So we love you. And Father, we just make much of Jesus now. Because that is, Father, our hope to, to be in this daddy that you've called us to be. Our hope is in the work that you've done through your son. In the example of this sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So now we, we just worship you, Father. We love you and we thank you. And we pray in the power of his name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.